The following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. Okay, let's get to work. Church, uh, hey, if I didn't meet you, I'm Chris. I think I know everybody here. Good, okay. If you're online, hey, I'm Chris. I'm the lead pastor. You've just listened to me talk. Hey, let's open up our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 5. That's where we're going to be this morning. If you brought your Bible, and I hope you did, open it up. Open a phone or a tablet to 1 Samuel 5. If you're online with us, 1 Samuel 5, you can find that on the little Bible tab on the online platform. You can go to another webpage and find 1 Samuel 5. We're reading from English Standard, the English Standard Version. But 1 Samuel 5, is we're going to cover this whole chapter today. Uh, now, I've told you about my daughter's obsession with Frozen. I don't know how many times, a lot of times, right? I mean, it's just kind of one of my, it's like a shtick I do, right? The Frozen shtick, okay? Uh, but uh, I just want to tell you one more time about Frozen. Uh, I genuinely like the movie Frozen. Maybe likes the wrong word. Uh, let me rephrase it. I genuinely can appreciate the time, effort, energy, and quality that went into creating such a film. Thank you, Disney Corporation, for this gift to us. Uh, I I do. I I mean, I think it's pretty impressive. Uh, But listen, at one point, Harper was watching that movie literally every single day. Every, Every day. And I swear, if I hear those songs one more time, right? Like, I'm just gonna lose, I'm gonna lose my mind. I don't wanna build a snowman, all right? I don't want to ride my bike through the hall. I can't handle it anymore, okay? I mean, seriously, we would watch it every single day. It's something about children. They can watch the same thing every single day and never get tired of it. And at one point, I was just like, Harper, just let it go. You like that? Just, I mean, take one from Elsa. Let the balloon go. Like, let it go, all right? Just get over it. This is the same thing repeated over and over and over again. Um... I feel a little bit like that about our subject today, Um, because what we're going to discuss this morning from 1 Samuel 5 is really a theme of the entire Bible. It's It's this overarching theme that is so core and essential, like we have to return to it over and over and over again. And if you've been with us for any amount of time, you'll know that we talk about this a lot. And it's fitting that last week we talked about the seriousness of sin, like the heaviness of sin, because today we come to a theme that we preach very often here, and that is that at the core of our sin is this thing called idolatry very closely connected to the sin that we engage in is this thing called idolatry. And the reality is this, God created us to love and to worship him above all things. And our sin consists of the fact that we have chosen a bunch of other things to love and worship more than him. That's idolatry. So I'm calling today's sermon, this is the title, Idol Idols. Idol Idols. You see, see when, when, when God comes into our lives and he begins to challenge us, he challenges our idols, okay? And he renders them idle. He renders them pointless. He renders them worthless. And, and that's what we're going to see in our text today. This is why 1 Samuel 5 is for us, because it shows us our idol idols, Now, uh, in order to understand chapter five, we really need to recap chapter four again. And we always need to be asking these questions. What's the context here? Where am I in the story? So just as, as way of recap, 
In chapter four, the Israelites, God, God's people, they go to war with the Philistines. Okay, the main, uh, the main antagonist to the Israelites at this time. Uh, and Israel, in their first battle, they just get whipped, right? 4,000 soldiers of Israel die. And, and, and so what happens next is they regroup, but this time they grab the Ark of the Covenant. You remember this? They get the Ark, they get uh, a couple of priests, and they go back out to battle against the Philistines thinking, Surely we've got them this time. Surely we will be victorious because we've got the ark. We're ready for this. Uh, but, but what they're doing is they're treating the ark, they're treating God like they would treat an idol. Okay, they're treating the ark like it's a religious talisman or kind of like, like God's lucky rabbit's foot. That's kind of how they're treating the, the Ark of the Covenant. But we said two weeks ago, God will not be manipulated. He will not be manipulated. Listen to me. There is no prayer that you can pray. There are no beads that you can rub. There is no sacrifice that you can make or amount that you can donate to get God to do your bidding. That's not how he works. And in the second battle, Israel will learn that because the Philistines will defeat them again, this time killing 30,000 Israelites. The priests of God are killed. And very worst of all, the Ark of the Covenant is captured. So that's where we are. And we step into chapter five. So let's look at the text together. First Samuel five, starting in verse one. When the Philistines captured the Ark of God, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod, Then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and set it up beside Dagon. Now stop right here. The Philistines have the ark, like they have captured Israel's God, right? That's what they're thinking. And they do exactly what pagan people would have done at this time. Any pagan group at this time, they they take the, the defeated God, the ark of the covenant, and they put it in the temple of their God and their God's name is Dagon, okay? Thinking, this is their thought, our God must be superior to this God because because the battle was won by Dagon. You see, this is the mindset during this time. The Philistines did not defeat Israel. That's not their thinking. Their thinking is the God of the Philistines defeated the God of Israel. That's their thought process. Dagon (laughs) defeated Yahweh. That's what happened in their minds. This is what they believed. And as we talk about the topic of idolatry today, here, I want to make my first point and lead with this. Idols promise security and joy. That's what Dagon is doing here. He is promising security and joy. He protected and he prospered the Philistines. And frankly, at surface level, it seems like it's working for him. Like right here, I mean, remember, when, when, when they hear that the ark has been brought into the camp of the Israelites, the, the, the Philistines are freaking out. They're terrified because they know this is the God who sent the plagues on Egypt. We're terrified that a God has come into the camp of the Israelites, but now they're the victorious ones. All those fears are put to bed. So what they do is they bring that ark into the temple of Dagon as a subservient God to the obviously more powerful Dagon. That's their mindset. Let's see what happens. Verse three. And when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward 
on the ground before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and put him back in his place. But when they rose early on the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord and the head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. This is why the priests of Dagon and all who enter the house of Dagon do not tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. So the priests must have thought, that Dagon idol. Every time we come in here, that Dagon idol is laying on the Dagon floor, right? Someone cut off his Dagon head, cut off his Dagon hands. We got to get him back in the Dagon place. That's a Dagon joke. Or as Kyle told me, a dad joke, okay? But um, I just had to do the Dagon thing, you know? Those of you from the South, that's part of your normal, you know, speech, right? Okay. Uh, did you notice the details in this? Dagon is first found face down, as if prostrate in worship before the Ark of the Covenant. They just put him back up in his place, and then the next day, He's now found in that same position, but this time no head and no hands, which was a common wartime practice at this time would have been to collect the heads and the hands of fallen enemies to demonstrate your victory. See, the, the reality here is that our God doesn't play with idols. Our God doesn't play around with Dagon the same way they think he is. And, and it's my second point, uh, I guess, about idols is found here. Did you see in verse three? I, I just, the, the one thing that stood out to me in verse three, they said this. So they took Dagon and put him back in his place. Listen to me here. Idols need protection and sacrifice. They had to pick up the broken pieces of their God from the floor. I mean, do you see the irony? This is Old Testament humor, by the way. That's what's going on here. This is supposed to be funny. The irony here is that the protector of the Philistines needs to be protected. That's the irony here. Idols need to be protected from capture and ultimately sacrificed to. This is why so many ancient cultures would practice sacrifices to appease their gods. Right? To, to feed the gods, to serve the gods. Idols always need protection and sacrifice. But hear me, that is not true with our God. This is not true with our God. Our God is not like Dagon or any idol for that matter. He is not a helpless God needing to be cuddled or protected or, 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 or sustained by his worshipers. This is why uh, Emily read to us from Acts chapter 17. I'll put this up on the screen and read it again. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. This is a very different God than the idol we're seeing of the Philistines. So what's happening here? Let's, I'm going to finish our text. I know this is a long read here. Let me finish these last few verses, and then we're going to circle back and discuss some application points. So starting in verse six, we'll finish up chapter five. 
the hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod. And he terrified and afflicted them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. And when the men of Ashdod saw how, thing, how things were, they said, the ark of the, of the God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is hard against us and against Dagon, our God. So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, what shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? They answered, let the ark of the God of Israel be brought around to Gath. So essentially they're like, get it out of here. Let's get it over to Gath. So they brought the ark of the Lord of Israel, of the God of Israel there. Verse nine, but after they had brought it around, the hand of the Lord was against that city, causing a very great panic uh, out on them. So they sent the ark of God to Ekron. They're like, nah, Gath, it ain't the place. Let's send it to Ekron, right? But as soon as the ark of God came to Ekron, the people of Ekron cried out. They have brought around to us the ark of the God of Israel to kill us and our people. They don't even get the tumors. They're like, nah, get that thing out of here. Verse 11, they sent therefore and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, send away the ark of the God of Israel and let it return to its own place that it, mu- that it may not kill us and our people. For there was a deathly panic throughout the whole city. The hand of God was very heavy there. Verse 12, then the men, uh, the men who did not die there were struck with tumors and the, city, the cry of the city went up to heaven. Okay. We are going to spend next week really digging into what happens to the ark as they send it back to its own place. That's what their solution to the tumors and the death and the pestilence and all of that from the ark. They're going to send it back to its own place. But for the remainder of our time this morning, what I want to dig into is the question of our idols. And I I do want to make my last point before we circle back. And my last point is this. Idols cannot fulfill their promises. They just can't. For all the promise of security and joy that the Philistines thought they had from this God, Dagon, in the end, Dagon could not keep his promises. That's the thing about idols. They're unable to, they're unable to cash the check. They don't have in the account what they're putting down on paper. And, and, and this is our predicament as well, church. Now, hear me. I don't think you're trusting in idols in the exact same way that the Philistines were, as in you probably don't have like little carved wooden figurines in some closet at your house, right? I, I mean, if you do, stop it. I mean, that's just, that should be a, I don't know, I shouldn't even have to say that, but But Isaiah chapter 44, the prophet Isaiah says this. Uh, He uses this illustration. He says, a carpenter takes a piece of wood and with one half of it, he he carves for himself an idol and he falls down and worships it. And with the other half, he throws it in the fire to burn and warm himself and cook his dinner. And, And here's what he says in verse 19. Isaiah 44, 19 says, no one considers, nor is there knowledge of or discernment to say, Half of it I burned in the fire. I also baked bread on its coals. I roasted meat and have eaten. And shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? That's prophetic comedy again. He's assent- Isaiah is essentially saying this. What kind of dummy would worship an idol when he just used the same wood to cook his dinner? 
Like what, what kind of dummy would do that? I'll tell you what kind of dummy. This kind of dummy. And by the way, you probably looked at that kind of dummy this morning when you were looking in the mirror. Our idols may not be carved out of wood, but every single one of us has the propensity to, as Paul says in Romans chapter one, worship creation over the creator. We all have this built into our DNA, the propensity to worship what God has created as opposed to worshiping him. So what I want to do with the remainder of our time is I want to circle back through my three points and really work out some applications for us. Because hear me, idolatry isn't an ancient problem, right? It's not an ancient problem or a primitive problem or a problem for them back then with their pre-modern sensibilities, right? But now we, we are enlightened. We're rationalists, okay? We are evolved, That's not the case. I want to show you a few things that we need to understand about the idols in our lives. And I think we can learn something from this passage. So back to our first point, I'll put it up again. Idols promise security and joy. This is what the Philistines believed that Dagon was going to give them. Security and joy. Dagon provided security for them. Battles were won. With Dagon, they were guaranteed these things, but without Dagon, they are out of hand. They don't have those things. So here's the question for us then. What is that in your life? What's your Dagon? About what in your life do you think I will have, like if I have this thing, I will have security and I'll have joy, but without this thing, that that is certainly not going to be true for me. Is it influence? Is it success? Is it a a physical beauty? Is it it physical fitness? Is Is it money? Is it romance? Is it fame and respect? Goodness, is it having children? Or is it having children who have left your house but still live close enough by for you to visit them? Is it having grandchildren? Is it, maybe it's something a little more tangible, right? Maybe it's like, I just want a home in the mountains so I can escape the city on the weekends. I just want a remodeled kitchen so that when I have people over, they're gonna think, man, these guys are classy. Maybe it's just, I I want a solid retirement plan so I don't have to, fret about what I'm going to do when I reach 65. What is it that you'd say, if this is present, I'll have security and joy, but without it, I'll never have security and joy. And as I've said numerous times, as we've talked about idolatry, you notice none of those things that I just listed off, none of those things are bad things inherently, right? It's not like I'm like, oh, pornography and black tar heroin. Yeah, those are bad idols, right? Stay away from those things. None of the things that I listed are inherently bad things. No, these are good things. Children. That's a good, a marriage. This is a good thing. Success and business and, and work. These are good things, but they become idols when we find our security and our joy in them. Okay, idolatry is when we take a good thing and we make it a God thing, and that's a really bad thing. It's taking a good thing 
and elevating it to a place of, of God, of ultimate in your life? What is it that you are trying to get that promises security and joy? And, and here's the litmus test. If you say, I can't live without this thing. If I lost that thing, my life would be over. And whatever that thing is, you have likely elevated to idol status. Whatever that thing may be. Because here's the truth. If you lose a good thing, if you lose a good thing, you'll be sad. I mean, sometimes very sad, right? Like sometimes you'll even feel deep sorrow and lament when you lose something, okay? I'm not saying that losing things isn't hard, but if you lose a good thing, you'll be sad. If you lose a God thing, you'll be devastated. You'll be destroyed. There will be no reason for you to go on. There's a difference between being sad, even very sad, and being devastated. I'm not saying you shouldn't want these good things either. Don't hear me saying that. I'm just saying, would you be okay if you never got that job promotion? Would you be okay if you never found that romantic relationship? Would you be okay if you never get to have your own children? Would you be okay if, if that wrong that was committed against you is never righted this side of eternity? Would you be okay if your health never improves, if it just steadily declines? Would you be okay? You see, whatever you think will give you security and joy apart from God, that's probably your dagon. It's probably your idol. So I've told you before, uh, but one of my primary idols that I feel like I'm constantly battling against in my life is the idol of success. Some of that is built into my personality type. Some of that is built into my family of origin. Some of that's just built into my, my job, like, like a success. One of my deepest fears and angst and worries that they're just almost always tied to the loss of this idol in my life, the idol of success, the loss of perceived success. And a lot of pastors have this same struggle, have the same success idol that uh, we can find ourselves worshiping. So I just have this fear. I just have this fear that like all of you are just one day gonna wake up on a Sunday and be like, I'm not going to that place. Why would I go listen to that dummy and his same story? Like he just told another frozen illustration. I'm not going anymore. I'm serious. And, and I'm afraid that you're just going to leave and it'll just be me in this room by myself. Maybe Marcy will be here, but she's got like earbuds in listening to Matt Chandler because he's funnier than me. Like it's a real, and you see, I can take even a good thing like pastoral ministry, and I can turn it into like a God thing. It's my dagon. That's it's my idol. See, idols promise security and joy. Okay, back to point two. Let's do point two now. Idols, though, needs, need protection and sacrifice. Yes, they offer us security and joy, but they ultimately need protection and sacrifice. Dagon needed to be put back together. The Philistines are looking around for crazy glue to stick his arms and his head back on. They, the very God who was supposed to protect them needed protecting. Question, what do you feel obsessive about to protect in your life? If your kids are an idol, God help you, but um, 
But if your kids, and people do this all the time, if your kids become an idol in your life, then you will become unhealthily clingy to them. If they are what promise you joy and security, then you've got to protect them at all costs. Now, like we know that as parents, we're supposed to protect our kids. Like that's a good and right thing. So I'm not saying that, but some parents, we, we call them helicopter parents, right? They just hovering over little Timmy all the way through his life. Always making sure he's okay. Or I just read about this new phenomenon. They call it lawnmower parents. You hear this before? Right? Lawnmower. These are just parents who get out and they try and get out in front of their kids and they're just trying to mow down any obstacle before their child ever gets there so that that kid is okay. You saw this when the scandal was going on with parents paying huge amounts of sum, like huge sums of money to these elite universities so their kids could go there. This is the predicament. The ultimate, hear me, the ultimate point of parenting is not to hold on to them but to let them go. Maybe it's not kids. Maybe, um, maybe money. Goodness, this one's a real thing. A money idol. If money is your idol, then you're always going to be worried about whether or not you have enough. doesn't matter how much you have. All the social scientists research, uh, both Christian and secular, point to the more money you have, it does not make you happier. It does not make you more secure. It does not alleviate stress. It only amplifies that. And if, you, if money is your idol, you're always going to be asking, how can I protect it? How can I protect my money? Of course you can't be generous. How could you ever give away the very thing that is most important to you? You can't give it away. You have to protect it. What if I need it? What if I need it next week after I've already written that check for the future? What if I need it? I got to protect it for fear of losing it. It's the same thing. But idols don't only need to be protected, okay? They also demand sacrifice from us. They demand that we make sacrifices. This is the whole ancient pagan, pagan system of sacrificing to Dagon to make sure Dagon is happy with them. And our idols today, listen to me, they're just like this. You may not be slitting throats at your table, pouring blood all over your house, but there is a sacrifice, a very real sacrifice that our idols demand from us. The idols say to us, hey, if you want the security and joy that I'm going to offer you, I require that you sacrifice for me. I'll start with me again on this one, okay? The success idol. Um, I am generally a truthful person. Generally, but I have a propensity to start to lie and stretch the truth when my idol of success is threatened. Okay, I will, hear me, I will exaggerate my successes and I will diminish my failures. Anybody else feel this? Okay, not just me, I don't feel safe right now. Okay, I do these things to make myself look better, to appear more successful And when I do that, listen, I am sacrificing my integrity to the idol of success. It demands a sacrifice, and I'm quick in line with the first. Uh, Here's another one, not mine. When single people sometimes get desperate for romantic love. I've seen this happen before. Single people get so desperate for romantic love that they start to date people who are just a little bit more questionable. 
or even sometimes people who aren't Christians don't profess faith in Christ at all. Now hear me, they do not do that because they really want a spouse who doesn't love Jesus. They're not doing that because they really want to be married to somebody who, who doesn't know God at all and will inevitably influence them and maybe even a future family away from God. That's not like on their checklist of things that they're looking for. But the idol of that ro- romance demands a sacrifice and the thought of being alone, well, that's far too much. And so if I've got to circumvent God to get romance, so be it. It's the sacrifice to that idol. Another one, okay? Those Christians who won't obey God with their finances, okay? And, and maybe that's us in here. Like you're here every single week. You're here every week. You know my first and best spiel by heart, right? I don't have to do it. You could come up here right after uh, the sermon and you could do the four responses and you can do the first and best spiel by heart, but you are still unwilling to give anything to God. And I'm not taking an offering extra today, okay? This isn't a giving talk. Listen, it's it's not because you're just stingy. It's not because you're stingy. It's that whatever your idol of comfort is wanting, maybe that's security, maybe that's a new vehicle, maybe that's a vacation, maybe that's that mountain property, whatever that idol is demanding, you are willing to sacrifice to it. But listen to me, in all of these cases, and anyone that I haven't mentioned, your sacrifice for the idol that, that you're making, here's the dirty little secret, it will always demand more. You're making a sacrifice now, but that idol will never be satisfied. It will always demand more and more and more from you. Now, let's make the final point. Idols cannot fulfill their promises. I hope you see this by now. But, but what happens to Dagon? Well, like when they're confronted with this one true God, the Philistines realize we got to get him out of here. We, he, we can't keep him. We're getting sick. Like we got to get him out of Dagon's temple. Dagon is not able to protect them. They're getting tumors. They're getting sick. He's not able to fulfill what he is promising them. And then look back at verse eight, because there's one line in verse eight that is so very important. In verse eight, the middle of verse eight, it says, what shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? That's a really important question. What shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? I'll ask us, what are you going to do with God? What are you already doing or what are you going to do with this God? Hear me, God will not be on the buffet line of deities in your life. You just can't go to him anytime you need a little bit of God stuff, but then you move on to your other gods there, there down the line who will provide you other things. That's just not how God works. He won't be set next to Dagon and you can just kind of get both deities power and provision. He will always be first. He will always be best. He doesn't do leftovers. He doesn't do second place. He's the God of all. So here's what we see in this passage, church. God is better than Dagon. God is better than our idols. Any idol that you come up with, God is far superior because because idols cannot fulfill their promises, but, but our God can. 
and our God does. God is actually where security and joy are found. Real security, real joy, they're found in God. His love is more faithful, more tender, and more fulfilling than any romance you could ever be in. Okay, his promises are more secure and more reliable than any amount of security and money you might have. His presence is more life-sustaining than any creature comfort or material object you can acquire. His future is more fulfilling than your family. His attention and his affections are better than the praise of people or the success in this world. And God, hear me, he doesn't need your protection. He actually protects you. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I don't need to obsess about romance. I don't need to obsess about money. I don't need to obsess about your approval or, or my perceived success. I, I just trust in him. I trust in God. I rest in him. He is my protector. And finally, while idols demand sacrifice, our God actually offered his own sacrifice, right? Like idols say to us, if you don't sacrifice enough for me, I will destroy you. If you fail me, I will make you miserable. But the true God says, you did fail me. And I saved you anyway. You did let me down. And I let you back in. The, the true God says, you did something that demanded a curse, but I took that curse on myself. Church, this is the God that you should give your life to. Not an idol. Not a pale comparison. No Dagon. But God, Jesus says, if you want all the things you're seeking for, he says in John 10, 10, joy, life to the full. If you want these things, you come to me. You return to me. You forsake your idols. You repent. You turn and you run to me and you will find what you're looking for. Tim Keller, I call him Christian Yoda, um, but Tim Keller says this. He says, Jesus is the only God to whom when you obtain him, he will satisfy you. And when you fail him, he will forgive you. When you obtain him, you will be fully and finally satisfied. And when you let him down, when you fail him, he'll offer you forgiveness. Have you returned to God as your God? Or... Are you worshiping Dagon? Are you worshiping idols? We do this the first time at our conversion when we become a Christian for the first time. We return to God as our God. We say, I am forsaking all others, all other idols. I am forsaking them and you are my king. You are my Lord. You are my God. But then for the rest of your Christian life, you continue to return to him. He says, come to me. Not just the first time, every time. Come to me. Turn from that. Turn from those idol idols. That's what they are. They're idle. They're worthless. 
They're pointless. They will let you down. But the question the Philistines asked is the question for us. What shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? That's the question for us today, church. What are you gonna do with Jesus? Let's pray together. Oh Lord, our God, we, we bless you this day. We praise your name. We exalt your name. We lift you high for you are first and you are best. There is no other. All these idols that we worship, they are, they're, they're wood. They're carved by our own hands. They're good for one thing, and that's burning in the fire to cook our, our, our dinner. And it was true thousands of years ago, and it's true today. The idols that we, that we consistently struggle with, the idols that we consistently bow our knee to, they will not pan out. They cannot. And so, Lord, I ask for, for Holy Spirit for you to reveal to us the idols in our lives first. Show us where we might be bowing the knee to another. I know that I consistently am and I need to take those idols off the throne and to put you back. I need you, Holy Spirit, to help me identify these things, but then also to break the head and the hands off of some of my idols. To show me, remind me that you are better than those idols. I pray that for me. I pray that for my friends here. Lord, that we would be men and women and students of integrity, of single focus, that you would be our God and there would be no other. So enable us to do this, we pray. Holy Spirit, fill us and, and give us the ability to pursue you correctly. Thank you for this, 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 this word, these ancient stories that have very relevant meanings for us today. Lord, we love you. We pray all this in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit.